0: What are they? Raging demons from another world? Bloodthirsty creatures that must be killed? Or incarnations of absolute evil?
1: They possess men, women, and children and drive them to acts of unbelievable horror.
2: Everybody and welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies with Bryn and Jeremy.
1: What's up?
2: Hi, Jeremy. How are you? It's me.
1: <laughs> it's Jeremy. It's your your resident hunter-brained uh, Hunter Biden a file lover of <laughs> lover of all things Hunter mythology. Even wearing my Hunter College shirt today.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's Jeremy and I'm Bryn, and today we have a guest. Uh, for, I guess, this is kind of the last big spooky episode, even though technically I think it'll come out right after Halloween. But yeah. for us, but Halloween it's before, hasn't happened.
1: It's before the scariest day of the year.
2: The Day of the Dead.
1: Election Day.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say No, it'll be
1: Election Day, the day after this comes out.
2: Wow. Well, everybody, you know... I don't care what you do, but we do have a guest, and today it is, uh, actually, (laughs) I forgot uh, to ask you how to say your last name.
3: (laughs) It doesn't matter.
2: I'm going to (laughs) guess Dan Boekner. It's
0: Dan.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's actually Beckner, but I I honestly don't care. After, you know... (laughs)
0: So many years.
3: Mispronouncing my name. I don't I don't give a shit, you know?
2: (laughs) It can be pronounced however you want. Same with me. Uh no one knows how to pronounce my last name, and that's fine. Uh how do do you pronounce
3: how do you pronounce your last name? Nibor. Nibor. There you go. Mm -hmm.
2: It doesn't look like it. (laughs) But uh how are you, Dan?
3: I'm good. Uh as well as can be. In the COVID capital of Canada.
0: <laughs> oh, oh how is
3: it there? Are you guys like? Uh, are you, is it peaking again? Yeah, it's peaking again. Quebec uh, Quebec doesn't really seem to know how to handle this in a sort of coherent way. So mm-hmm. the last big uh, the last big like public kerfuffle about COVID policy was around Halloween, which everybody had an opinion on. I'm just staying home. I. I don't. See what was the?
1: Was it a culture war over like what are the kids gonna do Basically, if they can't trick or yeah. treat?
3: Yeah, yeah, it kind of broke, and it broke down along like economic lines too, because like uh, hmm. people in the sort of more Anglo rich neighborhoods were like, our children should definitely be able to trick or treat.
1: Oh, I thought Go. it was going to be the other way, where it's like we can't buy our kids candy. Like this is how we get them candy for the year.
3: <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe that factored into um, somebody. A friend of mine told me that uh, somebody in his neighborhood had just like pre-rigged a pipe that went from his door to his lawn.
1: That he oh yeah, I've seen that. I've seen people candy do that. down. You know, that's fun. rules. Yeah, just like,
2: whew, and then they yeah. just like get stuck in their throat. Just like,
1: that's that sort of like early quarantine mentality that I feel like we've all kind of lost. That you guys. There was touch like that things. first like month where everyone was like, We're in this together, we're all like banding together, we're coming up with fun solutions for all this yeah. stuff. We're gonna <laughs> yeah. we're gonna have a great time and then we're gonna come out of this better than we were. And then like a month later everyone's like murdering each other <laughs> and like, like coughing each other's face yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Furious no. at yeah, each that, other, that was yeah. never
2: gonna last.
1: <laughs> I was thinking about it because I saw like a superintendent of a school in New Jersey sent out an email to all the students being like, we're, uh, we're still calling snow days, even though you're all, you know, learning from home. Like if it snows enough that it would have been a snow day, you get the day off anyway. Because like <laughs> that's an essential part of being a kid. And we don't want to rob you of that. You should
2: have just not let made them go to school at all. <laughs> yeah, that
1: yeah. also. But- <laughs> exactly. Yes. But it was like a sweet thing, and I was like, "Oh well, that's like a very early quarantine mentality that's that we we've, we've fully lost now." Yeah,
3: yeah, it's um, over.
1: It's all over. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so Dan,
2: you're um, you're a music guy. You're responsible for bands such as Wolf Parade and Operators, uh, Fortune Kid, and things like this. You've also worked in movies, yeah?
3: Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, not, not a lot of movies, but I I worked on a soundtrack for uh, my friend Scott's movie, Adult World, uh, which came out, I think about four or five years ago. And then uh, I worked with my friend Panos Cosmatos on uh, a song for his film, Mandy.
2: Yeah, that's a great movie.
3: (laughs) I love that movie. It was a
2: a runaway hit. It's funny because Panos' first movie, uh, have we talked about that on this uh, Beyond Beyond the Black Black Rainbow? Rainbow? I saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival. Oh, no um, way. Yeah, when it, first, when it first came out, I was really excited about it because it looked, had a great trailer. And I really liked it, but there was a, a reviewer stood up and basically just asked, like, why didn't you make this movie better? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was in the middle of the screening. <laughs> at
2: the, no, in the Q&A. <laughs> and, like, pa- Panos was just like, I'll try better next time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, what do you even do with that? What's, I don't know. What's the value of even saying something? I couldn't.
2: Everyone was just like, "What the fuck, That's man?" That's
3: so fucked. Because for what Beyond the Black Rainbow is, I don't see how he could have pushed it any further with the budget that he had. You know, I know. it's like <laughs> it's wild. It's like it's not necessarily a plot-driven film. It's you know, you just kind of dip your brain into it, and yeah, uh,
2: it's a very yeah. fun movie.
3: But. I you know I was thinking of Panos when uh when I was watching the movie that we're about to talk about and and we can get into it later but there's there is definitely like a a thing in Canada where if you are pushing the envelope of any genre of art you will be super rejected by uh the entrenched community here <laughs> <laughs> is really? it like
1: a is like a tall poppy sort of thing
3: Yes, yeah, it is, and I think it has a lot to do with uh, sort of the the economic ecosystem of government funding and uh-huh. and the limited amount of space that there is for critics
1: and and artists, you know. So yeah, yeah. what's
2: tall poppies, Jeremy?
1: It's when when is get too tall like the ones that are too tall i guess they like drown out the sun of the smaller ones or some shit like that there's some sort of like an expression about it where you're supposed to cut the tall ones but it's also it's an expression (laughs) for for like when people who are you know not successful cut down the people who are more successful Mm. than them i first heard it from australians i assume that it's a thing everywhere but we probably have other expressions for it (laughs) oh uh like lobsters in a bucket you know What's lobsters in a bucket? Don't Same sort idea. of idea. When the, okay. you put lobsters in a bucket, one of them tries to crawl out, and the other ones pull them back in.
3: Maybe,
0: oh. maybe, <laughs> the, maybe oh, the poppies
3: thing is like a Commonwealth saying, and the lobsters in a bucket is like uh, is like a U.S.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a. I don't even know if it's a New U.S. Thing, thing or if it's yeah. like yeah. a specifically northeastern thing. <laughs>
2: All right, well, before we get into the big movie, let's talk about what we watched this let's week. Let's talk about
1: the little movies. Let's talk yep. about
2: the, <laughs> the people who are, you know, making the lobsters fall back into the bucket or whatever. Yeah, the
1: little the guys. guys. <laughs> your, old, your old lunch pail filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, punch, uh, Jeremy, punch of the clock. <laughs> 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 Jeremy, uh, Dan, what, what did you what did, watch this week? Well, I'm starting.
2: Okay, well, I can go, whatever.
1: <laughs> Bryn, you go <laughs> Bryn, you start Alright, I'll go
2: um, Well, besides the uh, Saw 4 and 5
1: <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I watched uh, Borat 2 Oh, you did? I watched it too I was going to talk about Borat Alright, well we can talk Dan, about Borat Dan, did you watch Borat.
3: Borat? I haven't watched Borat yet And I don't know if I'm going to I have a I, I probably should I probably should.
1: Uh, I mean, I don't think. All right, so to to begin this section, uh, mm-hmm. I will say I do not think you have a civic duty to watch Borat. <laughs> okay. Okay.
2: I think I think that Borat One is a miraculously funny movie. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think it says anything particularly interesting about like the time it came because it was two thousand twelve or no 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 no, like no, no, no. It was yeah.
1: it was no even earlier than that. It was like two thousand five or two thousand four. It was like Impossible. it was like Bush administration. <laughs>
2: uh, well, we'll anyway. <laughs> I don't think it says anything particularly interesting about the time it's in. In retrospect, like it's very much about xenophobia and it's mm-hmm. you know fucking with Americans and their own assumptions mm-hmm. about foreigners. But you know. I don't think it, that's a very interesting thing to do. I think Bruno is actually much more successful in like actually saying something, mm-hmm. but Borat is almost objectively funnier. It's the funniest oh, yeah, thing. Oh in he's every ever done. single measurable <laughs>
1: way, it's much funnier than Bruno.
2: So I think my my takeaway from Borat too is that it is um, more political. I think it has more of a stance mm-hmm, and right. has its finger more on the pulse of what's going on. Uh, and for that reason, and um, a few other reasons, much less funny.
1: Yes, I was right. going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> it's like it definitely is more in tune with what's going on. It wants to have something to say, and it like really distinctly like goes out of its way to say things a lot of the time. And right, then right. Uh, it's just a less funny movie in pretty much every way than... Uh-huh. I think even the dictator is funnier. It the dictator, I didn't really <laughs> think it was that funny at all. Um,
0: I there were some laughed.
1: scenes that were okay. There was some laughs in it, but really I was uh, uh, very disappointed. <laughs> um, right. Like um, I mean I hold Borat to such an unreasonably high standard to begin with yeah. that You know, I I was always going to be let down by this, but I definitely didn't expect to be let down as much as I was. See,
2: I didn't hate it. Like, I wasn't, like, super disappointed. I kind of assumed it wasn't going to be as funny. And also, just, I was never going to be able to see it in the theater with a crowd. You know, like, I knew it was kind of up against that sort of, you know, there was going to be diminished returns anyway. Um, But I think the real problem with Borat is that Borat won, and I think even more successfully in Who is America? Mm -hmm. The joke is almost always on the people he's interacting with. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, half of the time the joke is Borat and the girl are doing something gross. Yeah. Like, like. Yeah, that a re- the reaction of these posh like debutante people to this weird thing is horror and disgust. But it's like, yeah, anybody would be doing that. Like, it's, yeah. it's weird and bad that you're doing. Like, they're not. He rarely got to like make Americans like let out the the pressure valve of their racism the way he yes. did in the first
1: movie. Right. Well, so that's what I was going to say is that the thing that's so interesting in the first one and the and the reason why I do think it actually says something about. America in general, not necessarily about the time that it comes from as much as just more broadly than that. Like, he has this great trick that he can do where he gets people to admit to, like, wildly reactionary things by himself taking a stance that's even further to the right of the people he's talking to, right? Right. And there's, like, one or two times in Borat 2 where he actually manages to pull it off, but he's not trying to do that in this one, so it kind of feels like it's just, like, pushed to the side like there's one scene where he's um he's talking to the guy about like the the propane tank and like how he could use it in a van to kill gypsies oh, and yeah. the guy is just like going along with this very happily just <laughs> like yeah i bet you could kill probably like nine or ten yeah and yeah. you're like all right well that is a very <laughs> casual conversation you guys are having <laughs> about killing gypsies and you know, that That guy's not going to go report that to the police or anything. and (laughs) That (laughs) that is one of the funnier
2: parts in the movie Mm -hmm. because it felt like Borat where he was like doing his Borat thing of getting somebody to sort of agree with these. But like, what's hard is that America has just moved so much farther right uh, openly. Um, But also, just like some of the stunts didn't feel as as well crafted. Like, dressing up as Trump and going to CPAC is funny, but like, in concept, but like didn't really do anything with it. It was just like no one believed it was actually Trump. No one did anything funny because of that. He was just like there and then everyone was like, fuck off, whoever you yeah. are, you know? Yeah.
3: <laughs> so it's kinda hard to compete with like uh what is that guy's name? Jacob Wall and like Laura Loomer <laughs>
0: holding
3: yeah. holding some kind of like burn after reading style spastic like fake <laughs> press conference about data that they have you know that, that like <laughs> like you gotta I don't know
1: I, I mean
2: yeah it's they, pretty they hard to win. top
0: it <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah you're like the the state of prank culture at this point in history is just so wildly different than it was then that you really have to like you gotta really impress to, to like you can go on fucking Instagram and find people just like pranking people like it's not right. hard to prank people anymore mm-hmm and it's uh, definitely not hard to find people doing like cool prank... Like, you know what? You ever see that video of the guy who goes to the police station and just talks to the cop like a cop? Oh, that's you know so good. About? Yeah. I think and the guy He's, he's oh, just like, amazing. "You've been drinking tonight? You've been drinking? Yeah. You, you know he drinks on the job? You've been standing and it's around It's the most here all incredible thing, and it's better here? than anything in Borat. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. more yeah, yeah, Borat yeah. than anything in Borat.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think. Um, I think the also the thing about Who is America is that Who is America is also less funny than Borat, but trades that for being so much more biting and, mm-hmm. like, its target being so laser-focused on, like, the specific type of people and what they were trying to get out of them. Um, like, even the ones where it's, like, the the one where the Israeli guy is like teaching those rednecks how to fight or whatever.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: Like not let anyone fuck your ass or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just better setups and then on people who were going with it. And then like the joke is on them. Um, Almost every thing in Who is America is like that. And I feel like this movie was more interested in like having this overarching story. Yeah. Um, Right. And I was just like, who cares? Who gives a shit? But the girl's good. I mean, she's She's really good.
1: And he's very good. He's still a very talented performer. I mean, he's like, he's charismatic in such an insane way to like be able to pull this off every time. And like nobody ever really seems to be in on the, like, you know what I mean? Like you'd think that you'd be, like Giuliani rings really true when he says like, you know, he fools a lot of people and he didn't fool me. And you're like, you're like, I'd like to think that I'd be one of the people who he doesn't fool, but he absolutely would because he's (laughs) so talented. And he's committed to the bit too. Yeah. Yeah, but it, also, in a way that we can only dream of.
2: <laughs> but Giuliani, uh, you know, tricking Giuliani into a honeypot is a good bit. And it's it was... a very good
1: closer <laughs> yeah. for a, for a show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know if he was actually jacket off or if he was adjusting his whatever, he whatever was. It was but he was one hundred and ten percent hitting on her. <laughs> and yeah. definitely knew she was supposed to be fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> yep, oh, he's think, a pedophile.
3: Uh, I, th- I think one of the reasons I haven't watched it is because, you know, I really liked the first Borat when it came out. But mm. then, and this, this might sound dumb, but uh, like in the intervening years, I, I've spent a lot of time touring Eastern Europe, like specifically like Balkans and like ex Soviet states. And, right. you know, my mm. partner is, uh, is Macedonian American. Uh, we frequently spend time in Macedonia. And once I found out that he didn't, f- or that the the film, the original film, didn't fully pay the people in Glod in that uh, Romanian village, mm-hmm. I, I was just kind of like, okay, that's – you know, that's that's pretty shitty. Yeah, but then well, it's also. Go ahead. But then when I heard descriptions of of like Borat 2, I was just and like you were saying, Brenda about the, about the joke often being on Borat and not on uh, these people he's teasing, you know, racist or right-wing thinking out of in the, in this sort of specter of like Russia gate and xenophobia towards anything that's like iron curtain or whatever you want to call Oh like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Iron curtain. It's, it's almost like, you know, everything East, of Prague is open season for liberals to make fun of. You know? It does seem that like they're say it's like just be racist to fucking Italians. It's it's (laughs) it's more fun and they don't we're the the British. Like just be super racist to the British. It's it's so much fun. The British deserve it. They totally deserve it. (laughs) Cause Cossacks don't the, you know, necessarily. Kazakhs so, have
1: done nothing to earn
0: this. No, and right.
3: if you read some of the, you know, like I think Karl Zah had like a, a really good thread on this where he was talking about like the, the revolutionary nature of Kazakhstan during uh, the Great Patriotic War was, mm. you know, they were 100% behind uh, joining up and fighting Nazis. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I know that's like, yeah, I know it's a comedy film and everything, but, but yeah, <laughs> well, also, <laughs> I was just like, thinking about have... that a lot. Like, well, but like putting the two the things whole...
1: together, it's like the 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 lack of pay, and then I, I've actually been hearing stuff about that people in this were like not paid well either, and like that like one of the women was like coerced into doing a scene that she didn't feel comfortable with or something like yeah. that. And you like, you look at that and it's like, the first one you can see maybe that there's something on the other end of it where you're like, this became such a great film that had such a huge resonant impact on so many people. And like, it was a great piece of art and like it, you know, it's politics were good and whatever Mm -hmm. you can like, maybe say to yourself, like, you know, it sucks that he didn't pay them, but like at least something cool came of it. It's like, if all that shit is still happening and then also he makes kind of a piece of crap, it's like really a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the lady,
2: and the lady who was like the babysitter woman, like has been talking about how she was like, I didn't, you know, I knew it was a documentary, but, like, they never told me until the movie came out that it was, like, fake. Mm -hmm. And, like, they only paid me, like, a couple hundred dollars to be a babysitter. And, like, she's, like, a main character. Like, she should have points on the back end, as far as I'm concerned. Like, give her lots of money from the millions of dollars you made. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. The ethics of the making of this movie seem pretty... Odd, uh, mm-hmm. and also I I feel like it was more racist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like like it's more like rush like poor people yeah. from other countries are weird, and you're laughing at that, and not the racist people of America. So yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I,
2: I don't know if it's necessary
3: because he, he's not specifically making fun of Kazakhs, right? He's he's Ka- the Borat as a Kazakh, Kazakhstan is standing in for. Yeah, it's standing in for this sort of unknowable east post-soviet maybe yeah. still right. maybe still soviet, you know, which is a funny which is a really funny joke if you use it to sort of tease out people's ignorance, you know. Right. But it becomes less funny when you're like, no, uh, this guy uh, hates Jews and gypsies. And yeah, the, the, the joke
0: other. is
1: that I yeah. is that I shit in a ditch. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> that's the joke. Yeah, that's the joke.
2: More, they're all more misogynist than any American somehow, yeah. and it's like, what? <laughs> Uh yeah so meh, I didn't I don't yeah, think I it's really, Yeah I wouldn't recommend. Yeah. It's not I'm really, really say, worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> Just skip it. <laughs> so I'm what did it. you watch this weekend? I
3: watched uh I watched a couple of movies cuz uh Dev and I are doing uh like a Halloween weekly Halloween movie stream for our Patreon.
0: Nice. But
3: uh I watched a movie called Embryo starring Rock Hudson <laughs> and, What? And and, and and Diane Ladd. Yeah. It's one of his, it's one of his last, I think it's one of his last big roles. It is a, it's basically a retelling of the Frankenstein story. Uh, okay. He plays a scientist who seems to live in like Palo Alto or something, and has like has like a full genetics lab in his garage.
0: Okay.
3: <laughs> and he and he kills. He hits a dog with his car, and uh, and uh, figures out a way to essentially like clone the dog and uh, grow you know grow a dog, and then he tries it on a human, and it goes. Terribly, terribly wrong, and it, the movie is. Long Did something go wrong
1: th- with the dog first?
3: Yeah, the dog is uh, very aggressive and hyper intelligent.
1: <laughs> so it's like um, pet it's cemetery, like, uh, like science pet cemetery. <laughs> it's
3: basically science pet cemetery meets Frankenstein. Meets uh, Dev's take on it was really interesting because essentially he ends up cloning a human uh, who grows up in a couple of days to become this beautiful woman cookie oh, no, then has sex her. with <laughs> 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 like
2: of course you know <laughs> well, why wouldn't he <laughs>
3: yeah um and she is hyper intelligent and is kind of introduced to his social circle as like this ingenue but ages at a rapid rate and you know kind of creates this feeling of horror at people and dev dev kind of lined out how yeah it's just it's a really interesting meditation on like the new
1: girl you
2: know, yeah, or weird science, <laughs> or weird science,
1: yeah, yeah, weird science too, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Make but a lady a, the fucker, especially if you're rock react- Hudson
2: and not gay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Didn't <laughs> die of love, AIDS.
1: Uh, You
2: love
3: beautiful ladies, yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <a> fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> so, so I watched that, and uh, I watched a really great Toby Hooper movie called Life Force. Um, I don't oh, know if Life you guys Force have seen Life Force fucking that. rips. I don't know what that space is. Space vampires. Oh man! So it's it is the movie that I think bankrupted Canon Pictures. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Because they, they they gave Toby Hooper like an absurd amount of money uh, to make this space vampire movie based on uh british pervert colin wilson's uh novel um he i I think he it might it's not the mind parasites it might just be called space vampires but uh yeah he he it's based on a colin wilson novel and uh
2: just called space vampires
3: uh, they threw a ton of money at it and it's totally psychotic it's got patrick stewart in it uh Dan O'Bannon, who wrote like Alien and Blade Runner, and uh, I think Return of the Living Dead as well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, Dan O'Bannon writes the screenplay, and it's it starts kind of like a cosmic horror in space, like almost Event Horizon style film, and just descends into like apocalypse zombie movie with like sword and sorcery stuff in it. A lot of it's it is hard. about scientists being horny and feeling bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: it's so amazing in how much, like, how dumb the, uh, the story is, mm-hmm. but how much money is on it. Like, it, it, it feels like a movie that was a. Made for TV movie that somehow costs a hundred million dollars. Like yes. every effect is mind blowing. Like you're watching it, just like this. What move? How is this? <laughs> like how <laughs> yeah. is this? Like it looks like the 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 product the production design of Alien but Uh with a script of, like, Hercules or something, or, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Yeah, acted
3: by, like, British people who cut their teeth on,
1: like, really
3: dry British television, you know? Right. Yeah,
1: like, Patrick Stewart is, like, (laughs) (laughs) a very serious, like, actor. Like, he, everything is so big with him. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Peter Firth is in it. It's really fun. It's definitely worth watching. I've seen this movie twice (laughs) now, and uh, every time I watch it, I'm just, like... I can't believe this exists, and it's, it's a so great fun.
3: It's a great time of the movies. It's like, yeah, front <laughs> to back. It's amazing. <laughs> recommend, yeah, yeah. Damn.
2: I I definitely recommend Life Force. Uh, do you do you think it's better than Embryo?
3: Yes, definitely. <laughs> Embry- Embryo is like Embryo is one of those like post New Age seventies like. Uh, science skeptic movies you know kind of like and i feel like andromeda strain all the michael mm-hmm. Crichton stuff kind of falls into that you Yeah, know it
2: almost sounds exactly like uh splice did you ever see splice
3: yeah 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 i saw I, I saw splice it's it's very similar to splice actually i kind of forgot that movie existed yeah
2: yeah where they make a i guess they do the same thing basically they like grow new species in a thing and then fuck it yeah
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they what do a new thing what is it it's
2: like a lady it's like a half lady half elf like Dude, lizard.
1: Hell yes. uh, kind
3: of lizard like this thing. is a
1: joke that katie and i have been doing for years about <laughs> um the the montauk monster or the montauk monster
2: no what's that what's
1: the it Montauk a- monster it was like a. It was a dog, basically. It was a dog that like washed Aww. up on a beach, but it was like half oh, yeah. decomposed, and so like I remember the this. front of its face was like a. It was the, the skull was popping out, so it looked like a beak, and so people were like, "What the fuck is this weird like beaked oh. four legged animal?" Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like a mystery. And then Montauk also is well known for the Montauk Project, where the government tried to invent time travel and accidentally killed people, and then had to shut it down. So you put those two together. And the Montauk Project was actually trying to create the Montauk Monster, which was right. the Italian-American scientists uh, trying to create a dog with a human vagina. So <laughs> <fuck> a dog. <laughs> like a <fuck> a dog.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's basically what happened. That's
1: what they were trying to invent well, in Montauk.
2: <laughs> it's the guy who is... directed uh, Cube and Nothing. You know, Cube, I, remember that?
3: I, lo- I love Cube. I also love uh, Cube 2 Hypercube. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. But Cube you didn't direct ze- that.
3: Cube Cube Zero is bad.
2: It is really bad. Yeah, but that's this is a movie. It's like Adrian Brody and uh, Sarah Pauli are like scientists, and they they're like growing this like lady with a tail, and then they uh, it like becomes sort of a, like human looking enough that they like start to fall in love with it. Each yeah, of, of them. Yeah,
1: How could you not? It grows yeah.
2: wings and stuff. I forget what yeah. the, the metaphor. Only
1: is. more. Only the more <laughs> enticing.
2: Yeah, I turning mean, she's a...
1: slowly into a Charizard. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's very furry porn. Like it's super. Oh, yeah, it's definitely worth watching though. It's it's fun. Uh, okay, so Jeremy, did you want to say a different one than Borat? Or no, that's it. That's okay. all I wanted to so talk let's about. Go right let's
1: go right into. Let's get into it. David Cronenberg's,
2: I guess, first proper film. Some people say it's Rabid. But lots of people say that this is his first feature. No, this um, is
3: definitely his first feature film. It's 1974? Uh, 75, 75. Yeah, he, he yeah. talks about it that way. Yeah, yeah.
2: Right, but Rabbit yeah. is like an hour long. So, like, some people mm-hmm. count it, but he doesn't. So, this is uh, Shivers, uh, also known as The Parasite Murders, and also known as They Came From Within, and in certain French Canadian uh, distributions, Frisians. Um, frisson frisson <laughs> was that
1: was was frisson mean That means fri- shivers in french <laughs> <laughs> nice
2: yeah. oh like you just frisson yeah, yeah uh,
3: petit frisson
2: yeah uh and apparently the original shooting title was orgy of the blood parasites which is absolutely a descriptor of this movie
1: yeah. yes so this a is, little on the nose, I'd say.
2: <laughs> so this is the second Cronenberg uh, movie we've done in the show now, uh, after The Fly. And I think there's a lot of interesting similarities f- between mm-hmm. this movie and The Fly and and sort of setting up what um, what David Cronenberg would go on to do um, by taking a bunch of horror tropes and then imbuing them with a bunch of very existential and intense actual themes. Yeah. Um, but let's go ahead and quickly um, recap what the movie is. Um, basically, the point of this movie is a big high-rise uh, where a bunch of people live.
1: On a um, little island.
2: On a little mm-hmm. island in... Where Where are they? Quebec? They're
3: in Montreal. So the movie is explicitly oh. set in Montreal. And that high-rise is on... Uh, it's called... What is it called? Star. It's the Starliner Apartments in, in the middle. Starliner. Belt. But... Uh, in real life uh that apartment building is on nuns island so
2: oh i've heard of uh, nuns island yeah i've heard of that
3: I, I think uh if i'm not getting this wrong there was like a cloister there back in the day
0: mm, okay. so like
3: nuns island they built a condo like a like that condo that it's filmed in this one of the first like sort of live-in high-rise buildings in Montreal uh, back in the 70s, and Cronenberg used it to shoot the film and used it as uh, inspiration.
2: So almost the entire movie takes place in this high-rise, except for, like, one uh, shot in a doctor's office, like a couple scenes in a doctor's office. Um, But the movie opens with a... You later find out a scientist murdering a lady uh, who looks like a young girl, Mm -hmm. um, and then cutting her open and pouring acid in her stomach and then slicing his own uh throat um as the movie goes on you find out that what was happening was uh he and a colleague whose name is roly i think (laughs) uh who's awesome and is the best character in the movie it's kind of an ensemble piece so it's kind of hard to say who's the main character um Uh, We're working on an idea of a parasite that would take over your organ when it was failing. So so basically like a living organ replacement system made out of a parasite. Uh, What he ended up doing was, um, and this is sort of the end of the movie, but what he ended up doing was creating some sort of parasite that... Was a some they say a some split between a venereal disease and an aphrodisiac basically turns you into a sex crazed freak. Um, and uh, now there are these worms that are inside everybody in the apartment, um, and is turning them into for aforementioned sex crazed freaks. Um, so we also have a sort of businessman guy who's got him in his stomach, uh, and then it turns out that the girl was running around fucking all the dudes in the high rise, and all of their wives and girlfriends are getting the the worms in their stomach, and they're running. Yeah,
1: he's gonna be your uh, he's gonna be your Jeff Goldblum type. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Absolutely. He even looks a little. He's Goldblumish
3: in his in his a looks. little
1: bit. A little he's definitely bit. Yeah. he's definitely uh, not as like. Although not now I'm a, wondering
3: He's not as appealing as Jeff Goldblum. He's, he's looking, not as appealing no, for he's, sure. He's got, got more
1: of a Protestant sort of a look to him is kind of what I was trying to put my finger on. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. Less yeah. less Jewish. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fair. He kind of has like a he almost looks like a like a he'd be in a budget uh, like British invasion band.
3: Oh totally, mm-hmm. yeah. Or just like a really shitty punk band. Like and his name <laughs> yeah.
1: is Nick. And Nick is uh you sort of just
2: starts off being an asshole. You realize that he was cheating on his wife with Annabelle, the schoolgirl who was is murdered in the beginning. And then um, immediately starts feeling bad and starts vomiting, um, these worms everywhere. Uh which, you know, run around into different floors and um start entering other people's bodies so your main guy is uh sort of a b-side robert redford or something um and Mm -hmm. what he's a doctor right he's a doctor
3: he's He's a doctor with uh i could i spent the whole movie trying to fit because i've never seen such a good print as the one that i just watched
2: Uh, just recently came out on blu-ray
3: yeah and then criterion's got it up right now but like but I, I watched it like at the highest possible resolution, and I was like, "Oh my god, is he wearing a wig the entire time?" Because
0: yeah. <laughs> his,
3: his hair is this just sickly, almost like irradiated straw yellow color. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's he's uh, really interesting casting in this movie.
2: Yeah, honestly, that's the first thing I was struck by was how weird, like. At first you're like, "Oh, it's just normal like non-actor type people." But then right. they like all look kind of off. Uh yeah. like a little more than regular people. <laughs> yeah. Like a little weirder and stranger looking. Casting is insane. Uh Yeah, but- I had
1: a similar my experience of it was seeing everybody being like, "Man, it sure is the mid 70s." <laughs> and then yeah. immediately being like, "Oh, but yeah, everybody's weird. Everybody's got like a very distinct look <laughs> about them that's like not uncanny, but just kind of like they don't look like like, like actor types. Yeah, like they, they don't. Shouldn't, look, be <laughs> yeah, shouldn't be in a movie. Yeah, he shouldn't be in a movie. And yet here we are.
2: <laughs> which is a very interesting choice, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And so basically, your main guy is this doctor who realizes that he's. I think he knows Roly, right? Isn't that the idea? Yeah. That he's kind of half aware of this idea and roly calls him and tells him about this murder and they start putting the pieces together and he kind of understands like oh maybe that this thing that happened wasn't a one off murder but like the result of all of these patients i'm seeing who have bumps on their stomach and no one can figure out what's going on uh, and they're all in this house this all of this big high rise um and so him and his girlfriend wife uh slash nurse, nurse? Coworker, yeah. uh, they who is from the outset trying to fuck him as if they hadn't before. Um, yeah, that was, was a really suspicious, weird, very odd <laughs> scene. Yeah, <laughs> um, in this movie, very suspicious. Um, and they go to the high rise and they basically start to you know make sure they're trying to help, but realize they're way over their head, and then basically end up getting attacked and raped uh, by all of the you know worm freaks. Um, And then, uh, don't they die? I think that's the end, right? They just, <laughs> everyone, basically.
3: Not only does everyone get infected, like there's there's yeah. the, the end scene is kind of like, almost like a, just like a Bruegel painting of like a baptism or something, you know? <laughs> yeah,
2: like, basically well- after a lot of chasing, and we'll get into the details, but like after a big chase scene, they get in a car accident, they try to fend people off. It all sort of ends with them being trapped in the 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 pool of the complex, and then everyone just sort of like gets in the water and starts like having this blood orgy, basically of just yeah. ripping each other apart and trying to fuck each other. Uh, and then that's that's it.
3: Well, this is the very end. I, I love the very end of the film because it's it's just basically you see this like orgiastic, uh, just disgusting like uh, uh, parasite fuck fest in the
0: mm-hmm.
3: in the pool, and then uh, they all get in. They all very calmly get into their cars and start driving over the Point Saint Charles Bridge towards from Nuns Island towards downtown Montreal and. As the credits roll, you hear like a radio report saying that, you know, there've been oh, a lot yeah. of violent sexual attacks in downtown Montreal and the police are sort of dismissing it as hysteria. Right. And then and then it freeze frames and it ends. So it's like it, 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 it it's kind of like the end of rabid or a couple of yeah, Cronenberg has a few of these movies that end with the implied end of the world, you know? Like
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Which which I really love. I that's that's one of my favorite uh just like bleak seventies endings. <laughs> Nothing is yeah, gonna like, get better. Everything's fucking ruined, like it's over.
2: <laughs> yeah. Even if you know what's going on,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you're gonna get overrun by all of the sex worm freaks and uh you will become them and that's it. Like <laughs> yes. uh, and that's the end of this movie. And it's similar to like you said with Rabbit and also um uh, I guess kind of Dawn of the Dead is like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, vi- like,
3: Videodrome too is kind of, I guess it's kind of implied like at the end that.
2: You yeah, know, and uh, that Videodrome is almost a personal thing where it's like he's dead and like it, it's gonna all take over. That's more metaphorical, I guess. Like the yeah. new flesh will <laughs> take over everyone eventually. Uh, yeah. But this one's very much more literal is that like there's there's the worms. And they, there's no stopping them. Yeah, they're yeah.
1: literally on their way to go do it right now. We're showing you that. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: so you brought this movie to, to us. Uh, you suggested it. So why did you want to watch it? And when, when did you first see it?
3: Um, I first saw it on, on Canadian television, I think. Uh, <laughs> sh- uh, it's not Showcase. I think it's Showtime. There we, there's a channel called Showtime Okay. in, mm-hmm. in, in Canada that would... Play uh, softcore porn and uh, like art, ho- what they call the art yeah, house movies. We got Showtime. It's the yeah. same here. Or no, maybe yeah. it's Showcase. It's Showcase. Then I get the mix Okay, yeah, up, Showtime so. Showcase is, yeah, is yeah, a yeah. very
1: similar thing here.
3: Yeah. So this was the a Canadian a version of Show, Showtime called Showcase, and uh, I saw this late at night, like blasted on acid. Uh, oh, when I was a how teen. old were you? <laughs> I was probably sixteen or seventeen. Okay, and. You know, we, like you guys watch it, there is something kind of repulsive about the way the whole film looks. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, like right from from the way people are shot to the way interiors are shot. There's, it's methodical but also kind of grimy and tossed off at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And that really burned itself into my brain, like just the whole vibe of it in general. Not even just the violence, but but the vibe. Was
1: it your um, was it your first Cronenberg?
3: Uh, no, I think my first Cronenberg would have been The Fly. Okay. Um, probably when I was like 11 or 12, you know? Oh God. Yeah. 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 Um, My my dad was a big fan of, uh, he was a school teacher and he would, he would, we didn't have like a VCR or anything, but he would, uh, borrow the VCR from the school, bring it home and then rent a stack of horror movies and we would sit and watch horror movies. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So uh, I had seen this, I think. There was a point where I fell in love with David Cronenberg after seeing Videodrome, which is my first David Cronenberg. Um, and I went back and watched uh, From Rabbit On. Um, and I think the, only, the latest thing that was out at the time was Spider. Um, right. Which is not a very gross movie, but it's a sort of sad movie. it's a difficult
3: um, Cronenberg movie. Mm-hmm. I like, saw that.
2: I remember that was the first one I saw in the theater. Um, so I, I kind of have a vague memory of some of these shots, but I believe I saw this and Rabid on like on the same day and on VHS prints that looked like absolute shit. So I sort yeah. of was just like, "Well, he was getting started," and <laughs> and then you know I was also in high school, so definitely wasn't that impressed by it. But right. having watched it today you know, on a beautiful Blu-ray, you know, transfer and then knowing much more about David Cronenberg, uh, I thought it was surprisingly, um, him, right? Like for so early having been basic, he like kind of arrived full form. He's like, well, we're going to take the idea of zombies, but I'm going to have all of these opinions about like technology or not just technology, but like the fear of the inorganic pretending to be the organic, Mm -hmm. um, which is a whole thing uh, that kind of runs through his entire oeuvre of just like being in the movie (laughs) and then just being so like, you know, obsessed with death and sex and violence Uh, that it was really crazy.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I I agree with him arriving fully formed with this. Like I was watching it today and just realized, you know, like the one of the big criticisms of Cronenberg's early stuff, and maybe now even still with his later stuff, is the way that the people in his films interact with each other
0: hmm. is
3: incredibly cold and still almost stilted, yeah. but just very, very
1: icy. And that's totally, fully on display in this film. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I was going to say that's kind of like the big, like watching this, It it... it definitely seeing the parallels between this and the fly. They're extremely similar movies. um, And the fact that they're 10 years apart from each other makes so much fucking sense that like he spent 10 years just kind of like figuring out how to make movies. And then he like basically just made this again. and was like, what if I did it like really, really good. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, and, but the biggest thing that stands out to me as such a difference between them is the acting, you know, is so much warmer and more real in the fly and like the relationship between them is so much clearer than mm-hmm. anything. in this. like, it doesn't really feel like anybody in this even like knows each other.
3: <laughs> that's, that's very true. Yeah. I mean, there, um, I get, there is one, that one scene where um, the sort of business guy is sick in bed, just like he's talking, mm-hmm. it's right after he's to- uh, talking to his parasites. Right. Oh yeah. You know, he's it's like incredible co- scene. coaxing them to come out. Yeah, like yeah, there you go, boy. Starting to like a dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking upsetting. And and his <laughs> wife, his wife comes in and is trying to deal with this situation, and you can see her going through, you know, uh, revulsion, love, fear, care for him. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, that that scene, I thought was great.
1: Yeah, um, I I had never seen this before. Uh, you know, I think I talked about this on the fly episode. I really just like my, my amount of Cronenberg in my life has been fairly minimal. Um, like the fly had kind of gotten to me through just like general cultural osmosis, but I had never really seen it, never seen this, never heard of this, knew nothing about it going in, except that it's an early Cronenberg. Um, had a very interesting experience of it where like I, Kind of left it being like, damn, like this is what zero pussy does to a motherfucker, you know? Like, this is like such a horny movie in such a like profoundly like pathological way. Uh, Mm -hmm. but then I went and watched like an interview of him talking about it, and I was like, maybe this isn't a zero pussy scenario, like maybe this is like an extremely big dicked guy who just has like a very strong understanding of like what he likes and what he wants in a movie. Because, like, I was watching him talk about it, and he like outright in the beginning of an interview it's not even like far into the interview and this isn't like far into his career he's not a major success yet you know, he's like, I showed it at this German film festival, and they were like, "How dare you show this? You stole it from Aliens!" And he's like, "They stole it from me," and they're like, "Oh, fair enough." <laughs> yeah, that's and you're like, this guy is out here, just straight up, <laughs> not far into his career yet, telling people like, "Yeah, Alien, the biggest movie in the fucking universe. They copied. They, they me. stole the idea of. They took it from A me. parasite from me. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well,
2: and not only, but not only a parasite, the concept." of you know a parasite that represents a fear of rape a fear of power a fear of Mm -hmm. sex a fear of modernity um and i think one thing that i noticed about this movie watching it is the fact that it takes place in a high rise and only in a high rise um and that the book by jg ballard high rise came out on the same year as Mm -hmm. this movie doesn't seem like an accident not to say that that Cronenberg was influenced because they were like like right on um the same year, like I said. But um there's something that's happening in the seventies where mm-hmm. in seventy five, not only in America but also in Canada, obviously, where there's this stratification and like the death of the, you know, of the American left after the 60s, you know, the 70s is sort of crawling on and things are only getting stranger and the stratification of the working class is getting further and further and people are just being put in boxes and, you know, sort of asked to be, you know, asleep. Uh, I think people like Ballard and Cronenberg are, you know, he even remade a Ballard novel with Crash. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think those people are politically very prescient and looking at the world as it is and sort of before anyone else even noticed making a very specific commentary on like, it's not that I'm trying to say that humans are bloodless, cold, like, you know, alienated things that you, you know, and I'm not afraid of sex or violence or whatever, but like, he's he's creating an oeuvre around like the concept of being alienated by society and like and the effect that the society we live in has on us as animals um and that just like dropping in this like fucking (laughs) like kind of shitty uh you know b horror movie uh is so stunning and weirdly juxtaposed uh, I think it's it's a it's really kind of breathtaking. <laughs>
3: I, I I totally uh, got lost in that in that line of thinking. Well, when I was watching this movie, and I didn't know High Rise came out the same year because like I I made some notes, but like. High, I think I wrote high rise like four times. You know? <laughs> yeah, because it is really a retelling of high rise. It's kind of um, the
2: same story.
3: It's basically the same story, and I don't. And, and I know that the shoot only took fifteen days. Uh, so I'm, you know, I kind of assume that Cronenberg read high rise and made some edits <laughs> to the script. You know, like
2: it's possible. But,
3: but uh, yeah, I think he and Ballard both identified this like w- what in the uk would have become thatcherism and uh mm-hmm. the sort of avarice and plasticity of the 80s uh the weird consumer conservatism you know of the 80s i think he and ballard both were like early spotters of that in its larval stage which was like mid-70s like you said the the dream of the 60s was fucking dead and the yeah. thing right, that had been it,
2: literally murdered by it the its, cia <laughs> yeah and the thing that
3: it had taken its place is this like Dionysian, like like kind of uh you know orgiastic new age shit but with no uh no political aim like there was nowhere yeah. for that energy to be directed politically so you just
1: have this weird like these weird people who are just kind of like stuck in cities now, because that's where they moved to be around like what was happening in the sixties. Right. Yeah. And then they're, they're stuck in, in these urban environments, trying to just like pick up the pieces of what was their youth, trying to figure out like, what am I now that like the left has been crushed Mm -hmm. and just picking up like Yeah, like, yoga and, like, granola and then these, like, big, you know, boxy pieces of shit that are, like, starting to come up in the 70s. Because, like, you had, like, tall buildings before the 70s, obviously. Like, skyscrapers are going back to, like, you know, the turn of the century, even. Like, pretty tall buildings and shit. Mm -hmm. But, like, the 70s is when, like, buildings started to become really cheap. And you could start to, like, really... You know, like, it's when, like, you know, the cinder block stucco sort of, like, piece of shit building started to really come up all over the world. You see, like, the big major developments of cities are always going to be, like, the old core, then, like, uh, kind of like a 1910s-ish, like, uh, uh, industrial age development. And then after that, it's going to be, like, the 60s and 70s, and it's going to be all these cheap-looking boxy high-rises like that. And well, the idea that
3: um, like this new, uh, this newly moneyed like uh, consumer class, or maybe not money, but this this consumer class that was being introduced to things like credit and
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know like like lifestyle consumption, uh, the idea that maybe maybe before maybe near the turn of the century you would live in a tall building because you were poor and you would get tuberculosis because you were living right. there with like your entire fucking extended family from Ireland or whatever yeah, you know, yeah. or yeah. Poland <laughs> um but but yeah come 1975 it's like these small units this style of living is being sold to this to the middle class as like something that's luxury right which and, is very
2: odd
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: well that's the thing. It's like it's this and and Ballard talks a lot about this in the in the book of like the the high-rise being like this mother that houses the 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 ants that live inside it and it's just like fe- it it mm-hmm. gives you everything you need to survive. There's no need to leave. Um but I think more than that also um Gravity's Rainbow um by Thomas Pynchon came out 2 years before this. Yeah. And mm. and that book um and I, I'm not going to be able to explain. You should listen to uh, Michael S. Judge's podcast I, about
3: I've, this. I've been um, listening to uh, That's like, that's my favorite. Uh, it's probably my favorite novel, that book. It's my favorite novel. I fucking novel love too. that book. Uh, Thomas Pynchon.
1: He's from my hometown, Glen Cove. Really? Hell yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh uh-huh. Yeah. He's a, uh-huh.
2: he's a,
1: he's, he's a cover.
3: He's a cover boy. Yeah. And my, <laughs> but my, my, he, Michael's podcasts on that are, uh, he's that dude is such a treasure i mean he's the foremost amazing. scholar yeah. on
2: pension as far as i'm concerned <laughs> um but uh, that book has a lot to say about and michael points this out a lot uh, of the fear or the 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 concept of the inorganic pretending to be organic um and that's like the whole book is sort of about the way that culture or the state sort of laid on this grid system to humanity and then like, you know, sort of use it to murder and to extract, um, just sort of like creating a, a, a gamification out of the Mm -hmm. entirety of reality. Um, you should read it and you should listen to that podcast listener, but this movie really has a lot of that stuff. And I, I would be surprised if Cronenberg didn't read that book, um, and how, you know, this sort of juxtaposition of the sixties and the forties, uh, exist kind of exists inside this movie about worms <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it's true. and I found that very astounding and I mean I think it's funny because uh the actors of this movie like we said are pretty uncanny and weird except for like the one guy who knows all the answers and I can't really tell if that's in an- it an intentional thing, but Roly, the professor who kind of yeah. is just like explaining to the audience yeah. what's Joe going Silver, on. Joe Silver,
3: that's his name. He's he's in yeah. Rabbit. He's in yeah. Rabbit too, which I was gonna say. Like if you watch Rabbit and Shivers back to back, Joe Joe is in both of those films playing a similar ish role. I could definitely see how those two movies would just blend together into one. Yeah, in my mind they were kind
0: of the same thing. Yeah,
3: but he when they introduce his. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Oh, I was just gonna say when they introduce his character, um, he's eating a smoked meat sandwich and a half sour pickle.
2: Yeah, just like double fisting them. (laughs) And and I was like, (laughs) my kind of guy.
3: That's a Montreal guy. That's like a type of guy that uh, (laughs) lives here. (laughs)
1: I was going to ask you specifically about Montreal because I did notice that Cronenberg isn't from Montreal.
3: No, he's a Toronto guy. He's
1: he's from Toronto, but this movie is so distinctly like about like the, the city is such a a key part of this. And I was wondering if you had any insight into that. I don't know anything about like the relationships between Canadian cities, but like like the
2: opposite shores. Yeah, I
1: think,
3: well, well, I mean, Montreal is a five and a half hour drive northeast from Toronto. Mm-hmm. So, and in 1975, it would have been, you know, we would have been coming out, Montreal would have been coming out of a few years of intense, like, political violence uh, by the uh, Front Deliberation de Québec, the FLQ, mm-hmm. who
1: were. Was uh, it like a, they were like a, uh... Like separatist sort of thing. They were like
3: literally a domestic terrorist organization that trained with Palestinians and, <laughs> and were uh, and were incredibly effective at um at like develop like creating the conditions that would make Quebec uh like kind of almost like a separate state within Canada. Yeah. Um, do we do we like them? I. You know I, I don't know, I don't think we'd have to do like a whole other podcast but I am for uh, revolutionary emancipation if you are uh, a class of people that have been oppressed by, you know, like in their case, Anglo overlords who had con- yeah. controlled I I was- all the manufacturing, and the church too, which was another thing that the FLQ was kind of raging against, was the, ch- the Catholic church controlled a lot of life in montreal for Mm quebecois so you know you had a lot more anglo business people in montreal and montreal was a lot more of an anglophone city back in uh on this like on its front facing side you know like back in the 70s so there was i there was more of a corridor of business and entertainment cooperation between montreal and toronto which kind of ended in a big way in the nineties when they had another referendum to separate Mm -hmm. and they almost Mm. did it. So a lot of the Anglo capital fled Montreal and that was kind of the end of Montreal as like a Anglo Franco multicultural city. I'm sure people will get mad at me for saying this. It's, it's still, (laughs) it is still Montreal still extremely mixed Anglophone Francophone, but yeah. But, but I think back then it was more part of a greater Canada in terms of people would, people would have houses in one place and work in another place. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like IRA a little bit.
1: Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Is it, is it more like the IRA or is it more like the, like the Bosque sort of thing or the, um, bath, (laughs) or (laughs) the, um, uh, you know, they murdered. What are the other guys called? The, the, the other Spanish guys, the,
3: the ETA is the Basque, right? But,
1: yeah, yeah. But there's the Catalonia, oh, Catalon- yeah, Catalonian yeah.
3: separatists. Now these these were like armed, um, armed terrorists blowing up mailboxes, kidnapping politicians, robbing banks. You sounds, know? Good. Yeah. sounds good. That's sounds pretty this cool. Sounds all good. <laughs> bon. Is there a good book about is it? Is there maybe?
2: a bad part? I uh, can't there is
3: it. a good book about it. There is a good book about it, which uh, the name of which is incredibly problematic. Okay. Uh, which is "White and Words of America"?
1: Beautiful. All right, <laughs> I'm looking it up.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to get a if you want to get a flavor of the sort of revolutionary thinking that was going on at the time, that is the one to read.
2: It is pretty <laughs> dated. wild. It's pretty beautiful, dated and
3: it's uh, yeah,
2: yeah. It, uh, it's good. So. This movie, we, we really haven't mentioned that, uh, first of all, it's really fun. Um, besides all the things we've been saying that are very heady, it's also just a fun time. If you want to watch this as a straight-up like zombie movie, it's very serviceable. Um, there's not too much like straight-up gore, but uh, uh, it's all sort of psychological, and it's hard to write off as laughable because it's just very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie was extremely disliked by the uptight people in canada because it was um funded by the state i believe some sort of uh you know endowment arts endowment type deal that yeah. the state had it's going the on Grant
3: system and uh you know the, that, that grant system existed uh has i mean it still exists uh if for music and film and visual art but uh, it also they also had this tax credit thing going. So you had uh, people making exploitation films in Canada and getting tax credits for them under under sort of the same umbrella.
2: So was this a tax credit thing or, or a grant thing? This or was, was a grant thing. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there was a famous article apparently at the time that was called You Should Know How Bad This Movie Is, You Paid For It, yeah. um, which is a uh you know a, hilarious if it wasn't so baldly reactionary uh <laughs> the like, guy
3: wrote it under a pseudonym too it was <laughs> like he was a journalist who published he published this article under a fake name yeah. what a what a, a fucking a
2: pussy, pussy. Coward. but i <laughs> but yeah uh this movie caused some sort of like heated debate in parliament about like what are we allowed to fund and like yeah. what kind of you know censorship laws do you know much about that
3: um, I know that that kick, yeah that kicked off a huge debate in Parliament, and then basically um, the ironic thing was that uh, Shivers would go on to be like the highest grossing domestically made English language yeah. film.
1: And so, from the Canadian from the same history. interview I was talking about before, where it's just like Big Dick Cronenberg, he's like he's like you know they had all these problems with him, they talked about it, you know in Parliament, whatever, and he's like. To my knowledge, it's the only movie from that program that ever made a fucking dollar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it made over... Because it was a... the
2: highest-growing movie in Canada ever at
1: the time. Yeah, yeah not made... only the highest, but it was also the only one that like turned a profit at all.
3: <laughs> That's really funny, because this, this line of thinking still persists with, you know, anytime any conservative politician wants to defund arts programs, they... I mean, mm-hmm. I know you, you have the same thing in America... You know it's the mm, Simpsons no. joke about the the bill with, uh, the bill to defund the preverted arts or whatever you know yeah, yeah. yeah
1: like Well it's like but here it's even worse cuz it's not even like the arts we don't even get as far as like funding the arts like our our struggle sessions on this regard are about like if a government agency like has a dilapidated building that they work out of, and they want to have like repairs done to it, uh, you know, it can't be too luxurious of a repair because then what? What will the taxpayers think? Not great. <laughs> that was really terrible. My wife yeah. works in a terrible building. She <laughs> doesn't, yeah.
2: doesn't. the NED like not exist anymore? Like the National Endowment for the Arts? Because I know like there was the National Endowment for the Arts had like. Um, they started funding performance artists in the eighties mm-hmm. who were doing like fairly anti America like, you know, sort of pretty left wing stuff and like pouring chocolate all over themselves or whatever and like the Republicans just like absolutely were like, No, we're ending this and I think they've successfully like did we just don't have it anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. that's that's been tried in Canada over and over again, but there's a there is a dark side to uh like an entrenched um grant system, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. which Cronenberg would run into, which is essentially like if if you're creating art in Canada, I can think of a couple other examples besides Cronenberg too. Uh if you're creating art within Canada and you don't go through the proper channels or you're making something that is in any way, like, pushing the envelope of, of your genre or is, could be seen as distasteful... Or you, decency, or, <laughs> yeah. you will be completely ignored. Uh, you will be given the big old cold shoulder. And a, a good example of that is the band Skinny Puppy, who... Oh, I <laughs> love Skinny Puppy. Who are, yeah, they're from Vancouver, and, you know, their first, like, I think the first EP was, like, 83 or 84.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: they really kind of set the blueprint for, like, a lot of the industrial music and then, unfortunately, like, that Marilyn Manson second wave of industrial that would follow. Absolutely. I mean, they they were
2: sort of, like, pioneering the Nine Inch Nails, like, shift from Throbbing Gristle to, like, poppier industrial.
3: Yeah, like, moving, moving like, high-energy bass lines or, like, you know, like, electropop sensibility with, like, like, uh, Bellardian lyrics and, like, Mm distorted vocals, you know? (laughs) and mm-hmm. they don't ever ever really get any credit for what a giant like cultural export they've been just like yeah. just like Cronenberg took him it took him having to win a fucking oscar to get taken seriously <laughs> in this country
2: yeah i mean he's one of my favorite directors of all time uh and most people like uh, until very recently it feels like mostly been ignored like except by pretty niche horror fans um and mm-hmm. really only because of stuff like Cosmopolis and History of Violence which i guess is almost 10 years old or something now but yeah, yeah. Still.
3: that's true he there was a point in his career i think after um Dead Zone where he, he could have had a very different he he could have gone down a different path like i was just reading he got offered Return of the Jedi
0: <laughs> what
3: yes but it gets, it gets better
0: he was return of the
1: jedi uh, fucking i'm just picturing the i'm picturing jabba the hutt yeah, yeah. i'm picturing the rancor yeah, yeah. oh my god Everything how, that? how it never, did we miss out on it never
3: made it but return, return of the jedi total recall which Ooh, he, which he actually good. worked on i think with dan o'bannon top gun oh. Flash,
2: top, top
3: gun he was he got tapped to direct top gun flash dance and basic instinct god so damn these are the movies that he got pitched and either fell apart or like he had he turned or, them down or something or he turned them down and during that time he had this <laughs> he had this pet project that was a comedy called six legs which he mm-hmm. envisioned as a sort of a ghostbusters type wacky comedy about entomologists finding a uh, Addictive insects on on a like deserted island, and then dispatching a team of like bumbling buddies to uh just like take care of the bug problem right it was called six legs and uh <laughs>
1: and,
3: and, that he, never came and it never came and I, I think that kind of broke his heart that he couldn't get funding for it, so
1: Aww. I kind of think that it's it's probably for the best because something I was thinking about a lot while watching this is that like there's a very real scenario where He could have gone down like a like a Lloyd Kaufman path, yeah. Where like he becomes just sort of just like a hack who just does like goofy over the top like Cronenberg monster like Part Five, The Fly fucks a lady, you know. Like it's just like there's all sorts of ways that could have gone. Well,
2: I think if he had you know the money or if he had allowed like the money to get to him, where he's like, I just want to be rich. Like Mm -hmm. I think he would have more gone. It's hard to say. Maybe like a Stuart Gordon path, where he was doing totally. like Reanimator and From Beyond, and like these bigger, like just bloody. I mean, because like Lloyd Kaufman is, he would have just. I'm just saying he would have made more money than Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> it's for sure, kid. yeah, um, obviously. <laughs> but um, but I just think he's always been too smart. Like he's just for his own good. You know, he yeah. just mm-hmm. like has to make a movie that sort of f- is in line with his values and ideologies. And like, I don't know what those are, but they seem to be. Pretty, you know, he follows a certain line, you know, through all of it, considering you can sort of basically look at a lot of the same themes through a lot of his movies.
3: He's got specific obsessions, and a Mm -hmm. a friend of mine, uh, his mom went to university with Cronenberg. Really? And Yeah, and her one anecdote about Cronenberg was that no one wanted him to come to any of the parties that they were having, or like, come hang out, because... (laughs) He would show up and just relentlessly start talking about like disease and parasites <laughs>
0: and,
3: <laughs> and infection. And he was just like a stone cold bummer to have her. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is, I, I think he's a guy that's got like this purity of intent that you see in, I don't know, he's uh, like the Fall or the Ramones or something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. We're only going to do this yeah. and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. All right, well, I would recommend this movie. I think it's, especially if you're a Cronenberg fan, I think it's uh, a really interesting, like we're saying, like a window into where his head has always been at, and it's sort of like the er, but also the pure, like Cronenberg. Uh, It's also just a fun time. I think the acting is really, uh, I think the acting and the visuals and just even the uh, shitty worm guys that are all practical effects uh, are all fun and interesting. Um, so I would recommend it. Jeremy? Um
1: I would I would recommend it if you're a Cronenberg person. I think if you're not a Cronenberg person, I'd start with something else, probably like the fly or you know, something Radiodrome. Yeah. Something otherwise. Uh, but I think if you're if you're a fan or if you're even like moderately interested in this type of shit, like if you like practical effects, for sure check this out.
2: Oh yeah, if you're um, a horror person in any way, where you just like want to see some, you know.
1: Yeah, you want to see some. You want to see a dead body. You like This is for sure. You want to check this yeah. out. Yeah,
4: yeah.
2: Obviously, yeah. if you're if you're kind of, this would not be something I would recommend to anybody who wasn't interested in horror. Like, there are horror movies that I would recommend. Be like, you should watch Midsommar. You should watch you right, know, something yeah. like that. This is not one of those. This is a yeah. horror movie through and through. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I agree. Yeah, and if you like, if you don't like sick shit, also, like, if you don't like, mm-hmm. you know. Like, if you're a horror fan who likes to see, like, a, you know, something a little more, like, cerebral, uh-huh. don't don't want it.
2: And I will say, this is a very trigger-warning movie.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, also a lot of rape. Yeah. yeah. A lot of rape. It's a lot kind of of rape. It's mostly rape. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: It's like zombies, but instead of ripping you apart, they rape you.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then rip you apart. And
2: then make you a rapist. Um, yeah, or yeah. sometimes rip you apart. So, you know, that that's all in the, you know... Metaphorical intent of the film, but it is a little bit tough to watch in certain places.
3: Yes, yeah.
2: And so, Dan, do you recommend it?
3: I, d- I definitely recommend this movie. Um, I I agree with both of you guys. It's like, you know, if you're not a if you if you're not a full Cronenberg fan, then it's probably not the best place to start. But it is a kind of I kind of see it as like a, like a really well executed demo tape, you know.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Um, and. And if you're a horror movie fan, definitely watch it. But it, it isn't what I would. I mean, I like it, but it. I could see how it might not be fun uh, for some people because that. Besides, uh, besides the the rape, <laughs> there's, there's also just that there's. It is corny in a lot of ways, but the. And this is the thing I love about it. But there is a strain of just like extreme uncanniness and unpleasantness running through it, where. It, pulls in all these things that we've talked about, like, like the sort of collapse of society in the seventies and the, and the death of, uh, you know, the utopian dream of hippiedom.
2: Absolutely. Um,
3: so that's, it's, it's
2: fascinating.
3: Yeah. It's, it's really amazing film, So Yeah. I recommend.
2: Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, uh, Dan Beckner. Uh, would you like to plug anything?
3: Uh, yes, I would actually, I'd like to plug, uh, my Patreon, um, which yeah. is so uh I guess as everybody knows, um touring is off the table for the foreseeable future. And very that, sadly. Yeah. And that has made up uh, you know, for anyone who's who's like a professional musician, that makes up about ninety percent of your income. So uh my partner Dev and I have started uh this thing called Biblioteca, which is a Patreon for operators where we uh every month we put out two to three pieces of new music and we stream every week. We stream horror movies, uh, you know, just whatever, whatever we're feeling. Uh, so yeah, that is what I would like to plug. That's where it's, yeah. that's where all my artistic output is happening right now. So
2: Yeah. Go to yeah. Dan's Patreon. And what's that URL? Patreon.com slash?
3: Uh, biblioteca.
2: Cool. Yeah. And follow him while you're get, while you're on Twitter. Uh, you know, follow him at Dan Beckner. Um, but other than that, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. This has been Generation Loss. Follow me on Twitter at Kinematography and Jeremy at Jeremy Thunder. Uh, follow the show at GenLossPod. And why don't you check out our Patreon while you're on Patreon at Patreon.com slash <laughs> GenerationLoss. Uh, listen to my other show, BB Bledis. Listen to Jeremy's other show, Ballin' Out Super. And I'm forgetting anything that's it alright thanks everybody for listening this has been a good time and happy Halloween and nothing else <laughs> <laughs>
1: nothing else there's <laughs> nothing else. happening tomorrow
4: nothing's no, happening don't
0: worry
4: about- were well, you out one. to create a body of art or are you out to make a fast buck because one of the things fast got- yeah it took me four years to get Shivers made and I made $13,000 for it that's not a fast and it's not much of a buck either I but mean, your films you, do make money sir. yes that film finally did make money when it finally got done and uh if you if you consider how long i made it it would probably average it up to about nine thousand dollars a year doing that film but, well th- that's one of the things that bothers the canadian film development corporation if you go and you borrow money from them you make these dreadful movies or the, the so-called dreadful by the critics yeah. You make a buck and return the loans instantly to the CFTC, and they don't want to admit that
3: they're funding you as a like your
4: Well, in a, in a way, that's true actually, because uh, shivers caused a lot of embarrassment in the Houses of Parliament, yeah. and people were were wandering around the Secretary of State's offices muttering, "What are we going to do about Cronenberg?" Now, this is as though they had nothing else to worry about. But that's that that the problem there was that this Film Development Corporation is a government organization. The people who work for it are civil servants. They have to answer to two masters. One is business. If the films don't make money, they say, why is this film losing money? If the film does make money, but is sensationalistic in any way, which it really has to be to make money, uh, questions are raised in the Houses of Parliament. Why, why, are why they is tax money? money? No, why is no. tax money going into well. this this obscene, perverse film? And they say, well, it made its money back in about three weeks. And so the money has, has been recouped.